poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. Once again, I am joined by my co-host, John, for this very tactical of days. John, how you doing, sir? How's it going? We got a pretty a good theme this time, or a strong theme this time, across both of the hands that uh, we're going to be breaking down. Um, the theme is going to be finding bluffs and uh, thinking about bluff sizing on four flush runouts. I think that's one of the situations uh, where I kind of struggle to know what the right hands to bluff are and also like what the right sizing to go is. I think a lot of things that I think about when it comes um, to bluffing sort of go out the window on four flush runouts. Like blockers don't really matter, aren't really a thing, uh, for example. So, yeah, just a couple four flush runout bluffs that I uh, thought it'd be cool to get your opinion on on both whether it's the appropriate an appropriate situation to bluff and whether my river sizing makes sense. Cool. Let's do it. Let's dive into these hands. So you got queen jack of hearts. You open to 22 under the gun and the big blind defends. Do we know anything about the big blind? Uh the big blind is a reg as far as we know. All right. So we have a reg in the big blind. Uh, flop is eight, six, deuce, all diamonds. You have the queen, jack of hearts. Uh, villain checks, and you bet half pot. Yep. So uh, just kind of going off uh, a data read here that just villains in general or regs in general struggle to defend against big sizes um, on monotone boards. Um, so uh, while I think this is definitely going to look a little strange in the pool, um, half pot is now kind of my go-to bluff size uh, on monotone boards in position. And what would the pool normally do? Like a third? Uh, I would expect a lot of checking on this flop, maybe like close to pure check. And if they were going to have a strategy that included betting, probably uh, really, really small sizes, um, like under a third or maybe even as far down as a quarter pot. Yeah, makes sense. All right. So you bet, half pot, villain calls, Turn is the five of spades, completing our hand of queen, jack of hearts, and then absolutely nothing on the board. No connection, no anything. Uh, and villain goes ahead and checks. And so the action is on you with this queen, jack of hearts on <laughs> no pair, no draw, no connectivity. And you opt to bet two thirds. Tell me about your decision to bet here. Uh, just following through with the plan on the flop, um, planning on certainly over bluffing these flop textures by going uh, like large, large, large. Um, even if I get called here on the turn, my plan is to uh, blast the river one more time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I probably would check here personally. Mm -hmm. um, I think that like 
theoretically, okay, so villain has a fair amount of flushes. Villain's got a bunch of sets. Like, I don't know that we have a ton of three street value hands. Like, Black Aces, for instance, is not going to go for three streets, I wouldn't imagine, on this monotone board. Um, so, like, when you polarize on the turn, you're repping basically flushes and then not flushes. And I just think it's hard to have a flush. <laughs> like, you, you know what I mean? So, I, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to have, like a lot of repability here. Like you're just not repping a ton of super strong hands. Um, so, I mean, obviously, and you mentioned it, that this is an exploit, but I, I would personally just check back and then kind of use the data point of whether villain checks or bets the river and kind of make my decision from there. But I just think that like, it's hard for, it's hard to realize a bunch of fold equity when we don't have a ton of hands that just want to barrel through. I agree. I mean, I I think that uh, I definitely do think that I'm repping just like an incredibly narrow value ranger. I think I probably would also bet sets uh, on the turn, uh, the flop and the turn. So I, I, you know, I think just like in my defense, I think I have a few more value hands than just flushes. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I you mean, got six six more combos of sixes and eights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, five. Well, yeah, I probably don't bet fives on the flop. You're right. <laughs> maybe seven nine suited maybe we got the seven nine suited in oh, there yeah, we got yeah. some straights yeah yeah I, I don't know if, if i opened that under the gun but <laughs> <laughs> anyways like basically like the the i'm sort of saying screw all that like screw all the you know the fact that i'm repping so thin like i think just going the exploit of the fact that you know the big blind is not going to be able to defend even close to enough um facing three big bets on a monotone flop is is uh really like what i was leaning on more so than um, you know, what our, how our actual range interacts with this board. Yeah. I mean, I think while I understand the thought, I still don't think that like we generate a ton of folds because like, you, you know, wrapping a narrow value range against a player who is likely a non-believer at heart and can hand read and recognize you don't have a ton of value. Like, is problematic in and of itself, right? Like we're still playing this hand um, in isolation. So yeah, I think just like strategically, a lot of your hands want to play for one more bet, all the over pairs, for instance, um, and even like your top pairs, you know, your eight, nine suited or whatever. So like, yeah, I just think that like when you check behind the turn, you have a higher concentration of bluff catchers on the river, which makes villains less likely to bet the river because you know we do have a fair amount of hands that can bluff catch and also when so so basically like if they're less likely to to bluff the river when they bet um they eliminate some of the value hands in their range and they're more likely to fold versus the stop and go if that makes sense they eliminate value hands when they bet oh i see i see okay yeah so they when their checking range is slightly weaker than their than their betting right okay so like yeah. when they check we get a natural opportunity to bet the river sure sure okay um, yeah. so anyway, yeah, I, I would check back here just for those reasons, just because like, I don't know when you play against like these guys that understand the pot odds model and are trained to sniff out bluffs and to call a lot, it's hard repping, <laughs> it's hard repping thin against them because like that's going against what their natural instinct is to do. And that is to like. Find you know, sniff out bluffs. Yeah. 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 Find find call downs, yeah. you know. Okay. 
And now we have the King of Diamonds on the River completing our hand of Absolute Squadouche. Uh, and the villain in question checks. And, I mean, at this point, you know, we've... <laughs> we're go- we're going all the way i think right yeah so um i mean i'm i'm definitely bluffing this river um i thought that the f- i think without the four flush coming in i probably would have just defaulted to bluffing a big size um i thought that when the four flush completes i wasn't sure that the big size accomplishes anything or significantly more than the small size does um basically what i'm saying there is that like i don't think it folds out um, significantly more hands than just betting small in this spot. I don't think a flush of almost any size is ever folding unless I go really, really, really big, maybe. Um, like overbet, like some sort of overbet. Um, and I think like regardless of the size that I bet, like a lot of one pair hands that haven't improved to a flush are going to struggle to find a call. Like a hand like seven, eight or eight, nine without a diamond um, is just going to Assuming like, that that hand calls a turn. Right, right assuming those hands call the turn, um, are going to struggle to find a call versus um, any size on the river once the four flush gets there. So I decided to size down in this spot, which is pretty rare for me. I think like previous Tactical Tuesday listeners will like know that I've rarely, rarely ever sized down on my bluffs. This spot felt appropriate um, to size down to a third just to try to fold out the one pair of hands and whatever we're getting called by, thinking we're getting called by flushes anyway. So... Um, I guess, what do you think about the decision to go for it here and, and sizing down to a third pot? So we've polarized on the turn, right? If you have the ace jack of diamonds, what would your sizing be on the river? Mm. I think I'd be really tempted to go small exploitatively, but I'm guessing like if I don't think any flushes are ever folding, which is what I just said, I should just be going big with my, the hands that are like really nutted on the turn and are obviously still nutted on the river. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that, like, you just target villains, bluff catchers, and, mm-hmm. and go big on the river with your nutted hands. Yeah. Like, So to me, it's like we're repping, like, a thinnish value range on the turn, and we go big, and then we, like, shift gears and go small. I mean, you know, like I, I just don't... That's not a not that's not the nut flush. Huh? could be any flush that's like not the nut flush i feel like would be somewhat reasonable to play that way like if you had queen jack of diamonds which is now like not that exciting of a bet on the turn or like jack 10 of diamonds or something like that and you're trying to find ways to get called by worse hands yeah you could you could size down i think it makes sense um i just yeah i mean maybe but i i, I don't know how you structuring your sizing on the flop and the turn where you're generate trying to generate folds and admittedly stated earlier that villains struggle to continue um, frequently enough on these type of boards, like it just means that when they do call, like they tend to have okay hands that are unlikely to be folding on the river to the to the small bet. So. You know, I, I'm not exactly sure here. Um, and I would, so I, I'm not, I don't know how I feel about the small bet on the river, but going back to the turn, I wouldn't have bet the turn, which kind of like puts me in a weird space on the river because like I wouldn't have played it this way. And so now I'm in this 
at this node that I'm unsure what exactly I want to do here. Um, so if you check back turn and face check on the river, you, you're you going larger? More? Like, uh, I would probably go big. Yeah, I would probably go big. Yeah. Um, somewhere around 90% pot or over bet or just something something quite large, yeah. most likely. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I, I think if you really want to generate folds, like then you should just go really big here. Like, I, I like just it. go 1.5x pot. Like, I, I don't know. I, I really just don't like the small bet here. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. I mean, the one, the, the play or the, the tool in my arsenal that I rarely use, I, I don't know how to use it properly. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It does make sense. It does make sense. The rarely used tool. And I think for, you know, tactical Tuesday listeners, that's something that like, yeah, when you're doing something that you don't normally do, or that's outside of your norm, um, be prepared to struggle with it early on, be prepared to struggle with it when you do do it just because it's not a thing that you do very often. And when you don't do something very often. You tend to not have like a a super great understanding of when and why to use it. Um okay. So just you finish do. with just to cap off that that statement about not being sure when and why to use it. I do bluff the river for small, I bet 70 into 216 and get pretty quickly called, I think, by pocket tens with the ten of diamonds. So uh, not like a particularly illuminating hand in the sense that like we just expect that hand to call all day. Might even call like a larger size. Um, if we were getting called, if I was getting called by like tens without a diamond, I think that would very clearly prove that my <laughs> bluff is just is is not very good. Um, if I was getting folds from those sorts of hands, I think that um maybe we could start feeling a little bit better about this bluff. But yeah, uh, not too much that I think we can take away from this hand when they when they call with a ten of diamonds. No, I think like on the flop and turn is where you're building your funeral pyre and pushing it out to sea, and the river is the flaming arrow that just <laughs> lights the rest of it on fire. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's it for the first hand. Um, after the break, we're going to look at another four flush spot, see what developed, maybe something good will happen. I don't know. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before bootcamp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years. Somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And Preflop Bootcamp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. 
Once you jumped in bootcamp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to bootcamp, kind of learning what rangers should look like and what hands should be played and what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's、um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know that that was fun. That's、uh, pushing each other and really helping、uh, one another. Kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was、uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post bootcamp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always. Being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up,、um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And、uh, since boot camp, I've been able to to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and、uh, re- really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have seventy thousand hands played by now. You know, I'm. A father, and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. The price is $199, and your link to join is ChasingPokerGreatness.com. Slash bootcamp. One more time. That's chasingpokergreatness.com/slash/bootcamp. All one word. Or you can click through in the description box of this episode. All right. Welcome back to today's Tactical Tuesday. This is Coach Brad and John breaking down some hands. Where we bluff on four flush runouts,、um, and I see that we start with a pair. So I'm just going to imagine that you're bluffing with a pair here, John. There's no way to escape it. Maybe it even turns into a set or something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't. Not this、yeah. time. It's hard for the board to double pair and get a four flush runout.、Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that's possible. But、um, I guess let's see what develops here. So,、um, cutoff opens to twenty-two point five. You three bet to one hundred from the small blind.、Uh, for the podcast listener, they're playing effective hundred big blinds,、um, and now the cutoff four bets to two forty-seven.、Uh, thoughts here about jamming calling. Um. I wasn't really considering jamming. I, I guess you could jam. Like it wouldn't be the end of the world to jam tens, but、um, I think I would jam something like jacks plus or like queens plus, and、um, do a little bit more flatting with pocket tens. I think if there was a reason to jam, it might be that this four bet is pretty big. It's like two and a half x in position. Um, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's like a, a great reason、um, to jam, but just the fact that he sized up. Makes me want to play a little more jam fold than、um, you know jam fold call.、Uh, that being said, though, I'm ninety nine percent of the time I'm just going to be calling the pocket tens here. 
Yeah, we didn't say it, but I assume villain is a reg. Yeah, he's a reg. Um, he, he or she. And you call, and we get an ace of clubs, seven of diamonds, three of diamonds. So not an amazing flop for us. Um, I'm like ready to check fold already. Yeah. A lot of their four bet, uh, lower equity four bets would contain an ace. <laughs> so um, <laughs> really tough to figure out like what we um, have an advantage against now. So you check and our opponent mercifully just checks behind. Um, although even them checking behind is not very merciful <laughs> because it's uh, honestly, if they had a, a weaker hand that they four bet with, it's most likely that they would bet this flop. So yeah, I'm still not loving our loving the spot that we're in here with the tens. Maybe we yeah. can make, make a 10 on the turn. We don't. The turn is the deuce of diamonds. So we have the ace of clubs, seven tray, deuce of diamonds. You have 10 of hearts, 10 of spades. So once again, you've not improved at all. Uh, you check and the villain checks behind once again, which. Wow. Two chances to hit a 10. Two chances to hit a 10. <laughs> and I think this check, like I just, I think it makes sense that this is how they're going to structure their strategy, like checking back flop and then checking back turn, um, even when the deuce of diamonds rolls off. So we get a nine of diamonds on the river. So now even in some weird universe where they four bet nines, we're losing um, to that. Uh, I can't really imagine a hand that you're beating right now. So I, I think that's past the test as far as like turning your tens into a bluff. We found um, the spot. Yeah, basically, when you have a worth, you've gotten yourself into a position where your hand is effectively worthless. Congratulations. Yeah. You found it. Um, it has to be one of the worst hands that I ever get to the river with in a four bet plot, especially like this river. Um, I guess I will, I will have some like suited broadways that um, haven't made flushes uh, that are slightly worse or that are worse than tens, but really, this is like as close to the bottom as it gets. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And let's see what sizing you chose, because I assume you bet. Oh wait, wait, wait. What, what what sizing? <laughs> Talk about appropriate sizing here, because I, I was, I really wasn't sure. Like, what am I trying to fold out? I guess is is the way that I, I would start thinking about this question. Kings and, through yeah. kings and queens. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> <Without> <laughs> <a diamond. laughs> those the kings and queens no diamond. Those are the hands that you're trying to fold out. I would imagine. I mean, I'm of two minds. I guess, uh, so I think that I would just go like 70% pot. I think I, on first glance, you know, the overbet does make some sense. Um, although I don't think they fold, like, I don't think we move the needle as it relates to fold equity with the overbet. Like, I don't think jacks with a jack of diamonds would ever fold versus a rip here on the river you know um so you're or like i or like i think more importantly it's not that it doesn't fold to a rip but like it doesn't look at 70 percent and a rip and like think like well okay instead of 70 he ripped so i'm gonna fold my jacks now right like yeah. it doesn't like bias any bias very much additional fold equity right which is like kind of how to gauge these types of situations so like if the much larger bet has diminishing returns, 
as it relates to fold equity, then you probably shouldn't be using it. Um, which by the way means, I guess, as an aside that if you did have like, you know, ace queen with the ace of diamonds, um, or ace queen of diamonds, then like jamming feels like it makes a lot of sense here. I agree. Um, so on that same token, like I, I would just bet like, I don't know, 70 or 90%, um, 450, 350, somewhere in that ballpark, probably the 90%, I think that would be my preferred. Here. Boom. <laughs> Busted exactly out the 90. <laughs> exactly 90% club here on the river. Uh, yeah, I think I like the sizing. I think it's good. And we're, we're going to end on a positive note. I hope, I mean, I don't, I don't really do care. You know? <laughs> I don't care what villain does here exactly on the river. Um, but I think that a positive note as it relates to like the way the hand was played, uh, I'm down. And the result is pretty good too. Yeah. The result is good. They fold good for them. Um, and the hand that they fold is to black Kings. So yeah, just folded out the hands that you're targeting, which I guess is good. God, this guy just doesn't range a quarter on the flop. That's what I was thinking. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe. Like, but <laughs> they they can't foresee that this this is going to be the run out and they're going to get bluffed, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They, they don't know the result of the, of the turn in the river. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you bluff if it's not a four flush run out? That's a good question. I, I. I... I definitely don't feel like as compelled, which I don't, I don't think that's necessarily good. Like as soon as I saw the diamond, I was just like, Oh my God, my hand sucks. Like I have to do something about that. That was when you realized your hand sucked when the fourth <laughs> like, diamond came out. I mean, it's like on the flop, it's like bad <laughs> on the turn. It's like bad on the river. It's like, just, it's like, you know, just, it's Oh, just, it was pretty bad uh, at every street. Uh, yeah. the flop and the turn and the river for sure. I don't think the river actually changes your hand as right, much right. as you it would think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than the fact that, like, I think, like, kings and queens without a diamond are, like, way more likely to fold if I bomb the river on a four flush uh, yeah. run out than, than if it doesn't. I mean, like, when, when, he, when he checks back his hand, when he checks back his hand twice on the flop and turn in a four bet pot in position, like, I would be pretty scared of going for some bluff on the river um, on the non four flush run out, just thinking, like, well, he's not checking back kings so that he fold, so that he can fold them. Like, you know the how, you know how you could go back and analyze your the hand number one decision mm-hmm. is it like this spot is quite similar to hand number one in what you're trying to accomplish by betting the river yeah you're trying to fold out pairs that don't have a diamond mm-hmm. in hand number one you chose a third and hand number two you chose 90 percent. yeah so like you see what i'm saying like there, there's clearly a disconnect there in that your mission is the same in both spots and yet two different sizings were chosen yeah. Oh, Got to figure out which one works. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> they had a flush in the first one and they didn't in the second one. So, like, we still don't actually know. We learned literally no, no, nothing no. based on small these two kids. hands. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that we didn't learn anything. I hope the Tactical Tuesday audience learned at least something. I, I don't know what they learned, but I hope something on this week's episode of Tactical Tuesday. Um, besides that, yeah. When in doubt, bluff big. I think that's that's what I <laughs> <laughs> Yes. 
bluff big so that you never have to get any reps bluffing small ever again. Just avoid avoid that tool altogether. End up like me and never know when to use the small bluff size that way. Uh, all right man well we're gonna close down shop y'all have a great rest of your week and if you are looking for more feedback on how you play your hands or anything going on in your poker game hit up greatnessvillage.com hop in our slack community ask questions poke around all the things uh john anything left see you next week see you next week Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.